0: sincerest form of flattery. To want to be like someone is to exalt or praise that individual. As we watch these Summer Olympics, there are a number of athletes that are being referred to as being inspirational. That is, that they are inspiring young people to follow their example and work ethic. Michael Phelps, with his 23 gold medals. Katie Ledecky with 13 world records. Simone Biles with the largest winning margin in women's gymnastic history. She won the all-around with a 2.1 victory, uh, 2.1 point victory over the second place or silver medalist. That 2.1 victory is larger than the margin of victory from 1980 to 2012, women's gymnastics all around combined. Simone Manuel, first African-American woman swimmer to win gold at the Olympics. I don't know if you saw her uh, interview on NBC after uh, that uh, first race that she won with a gold medal, Uh, but uh, she gave glory to God A wonderful testimony, and I looked it up online. It's great to see the witness that she has for the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about imitating individuals, uh, who would you most like to imitate? Who do you want to pattern your life after? The greatest role model that one can have, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The person that we should most want to imitate is Jesus. Now, in our passage this morning, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As we imitate God, we imitate the Lord Jesus Christ, who was created in the image of God. Jesus is repeatedly established as the one to whom we are to aspire to imitate. God said that he saved us in order to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 For those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are to take on a family likeness. We are the children of God we are to have this family resemblance, a resemblance that is seen between Father and Son, between God the Father, God the Son, and so we are to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repeatedly, we are told to be like Jesus. Now, we've been doing a series on the one another passages in the Word of God, and constantly we are brought back to treating others the way that Christ treated us. We are to be like Jesus. Jesus said that we are to love one another as he has loved us. Last week, we were in John 13, 14 and 15, and we learned that we are to follow Jesus' example in humbling himself before others. He said, and I quote, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. You should do just as I have done to you. The whole Christian life is to be seeking to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. Christianity is more about who we are than what we believe. And I say that guardedly. But Christianity is more about who we are than what we believe. Is what we believe important? Sure it is. Sure it is. But what we are is every bit as important as what we believe. Orthopraxy is every bit as important as orthodoxy. There is a devotional classic that's entitled The Imitation of Christ. It's attributed to Thomas Kempis, originally written anonymously, as the author did not want to draw attention to himself, but it's been widely affirmed to be written by Thomas Akempis, written in approximately 1418 to 1420 A.D. It is the most widely read devotional book next to the Bible. No book other than the Bible has been translated into more languages than the imitation of Christ. It's still very popular today. It's a book that I would highly recommend to you. And just by the way, it happens to be on the library book table. And uh, so if you rush out of here and be the first one, uh, you can sign it out. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. But as the title would suggest, the premise of the book is that the highest devotion that we can demonstrate towards God is a desire to imitate Christ. To be like Christ. That sounds so simple, but in actuality, it's, it's very, very difficult. We've been focusing on the one another passages, and repeatedly, we find that we are to treat one another the way that Jesus has treated us. I'm sure that you are familiar with the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. However, Jesus greatly expands on the golden rule. We're not simply to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We are to be sure to treat others the way Christ has treated us. That is a much higher standard. Our theme this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles... Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Three exhortations of the way in which we are to treat one another with kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, just as God in Christ forgave us. The context of this passage is the behavioral change that is to take place From a person having been lost to a person becoming saved. There is to be a transition that takes place in the life of every true child of God. Christians are to put away certain sinful practices. And they are to put on virtues that come from God. There are five sins that are mentioned in verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Vices are to be replaced with virtue. What became striking to me as I did this study and read through numerous commentaries, and I couldn't help but notice the amount of time that was spent on verse 30 and 31, especially verse 31, these vices that are to be put off, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander, the amount of material that focused on those changes that were to take place with very little material on verse 32, which is our text, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And I was forced to ask myself the question, why? Why was there so much exposition of verse 31 and so little exposition of verse 32? I was wondering, could it be that we have far more examples of the negative than we do the positive? we can see much more clearly what we should not do as opposed to what we should do. We can find so many examples of bad behavior, but how difficult it is to come up with examples of good behavior. How readily we understand these negatives. I'm just gonna go through them extremely quickly because we do get them, we do understand them. So in verse 31, it says, these are the things we're to put off. First, bitterness. Bitterness. Uh, It's used of a a plant that is bitter to eat. The idea is to harbor resentment about the past. We're put off wrath. Wrath is rage. The initial explosion of of temper. When a person just blows up, Blows up. Anger is a more settled feeling of hostility and enmity. Unwillingness to get along. To be obstinate. Quarrelsome. Divisive. Clamor is shouting, yelling, screaming. And we all know what that is like when a person loses their temper. And they shout and they scream and they yell. Slander is verbal abuse and vilifying one another. That's one of those words I I like, vilifying. I don't know if that's a, a part of your everyday vocabulary, but I like vilifying because it comes from villain. It's to make everybody a villain, to put down to a base, to speak ill of others, to say bad things about them. We're good at putting people down. We're good at turning things to look bad For them and good for us. And then the last word here is malice. Attitudes and actions which are intended to harm another in some way. Trying to cause, most often, emotional pain. Say things that are hurtful. Say things that are, are going to upset people, to are going to cause them to lay awake at night or to wound them in some way. Instead We are to treat others the way that Jesus treated us. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. So we want to look at these three exhortations this morning and ask ourselves the question, how has Christ treated us and how are we to treat others? First, Christ has treated us with benevolence. Therefore, we should to be benevolent to one another. Notice verse 32. Be kind to one another. Kind. Kindness is a disposition and an inclination to want to see others blessed. To want to see others experience good. A disposition of what excuse me, wanting to be helpful to others. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. I'd like us to see how this word is used in connection with Jesus. Ephesians 2, 1 and following. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were children of wrath. We deserved the wrath of God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. With this intent, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in, here's our word, kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It was the purpose of God to move from a place of wrath to kindness. It is no wonder that in our passage it takes time discussing the wrath, the the verse preceding, put away all wrath and anger and malice and slander and all these negative things things of which we want to see people harmed or hurt. We want to get even with people. We want them to pay for what they've done to us. We want them to hurt a little because of what they have done to us. Here are people that are deserving of wrath, but God in his love sends his son to die for us. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and has raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ so that in the ages to come, so that in the future, so that after we die, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace that we might experience joy and peace, and happiness, and contentment, and reconciliation with God and one another in kindness. In kindness. God wanted to be kind to us. And we're going to experience his kindness in the days that lie ahead. Our passage says... That in like manner, we are to be kind to one another. We are to take the steps that are necessary to rid ourselves of all the wrath and the malice and the anger and replace it with a desire to be helpful, beneficial to others. To see them experience the peace and the joy and contentment rather than having them pay for the things that they have done to us. Secondly, Christ has treated us with compassion. Therefore, we are to be compassionate to one another. Verse 32, be kind to one another. And now this word, tenderhearted. Tenderhearted. This word is hard to find an example of, for it's used only here in the entire New Testament. This is the only place which this word tender-hearted is used. It certainly has the connotation of being compassionate, sympathetic. We can think of its antithesis to be hard-hearted. We know what that means. uh, When... We will not let people get to us. We will not let their hurts penetrate us. We are not to let those things affect us. But the idea of this verse is that we are not only to perform acts of kindness or charity. But our very heart, the essence of our core, our being, is a motivation of some sincere compassion. In other words, we aren't just supposed to act in the right way, but we are to be motivated out of a sincere and pure heart to act in the right way. You see, why did God send His Son? The scripture tells us, repeat it, tells us in this verse, tells us in in, in chapter two, tells us in John three sixteen, for God so loved. What motivated the Almighty God was a tender heart of feeling sorry for us in our great plight, our devastation. We were hopeless. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. There was no way out of our dilemma. There was no way that we could pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. There was no money that we could give that could earn our salvation. There was nothing that we could do to rid ourselves of our sinful nature and tendencies. We were absolutely helpless. We were hopeless apart from God. But God, in his great mercy... And wisdom and love with which he loved us sent his son. He was motivated out of a heart of love for those who were at enmity with him. But God commended his love toward us, and though while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we're to be like Christ before people come and ask for forgiveness. Before people take the first step in making amends, before someone says to you, I'm sorry, before someone takes a positive peace offering to you, we are to be tender hearted towards our brother and sister in Christ. We are to feel for them. We know what it is to feel for ourselves. We know what it is to be upset for ourselves. We know what it's like to be hurt ourselves. We are to put ourselves in the shoes of those who need forgiveness. Those who need compassion. Those who, in fact, have hurt us. God did not do anything wrong. God did not deserve a rebellious people. No one legitimately could find fault with what God had provided. Adam and Eve had no rightful gripe against God. He put them in a beautiful garden. He protected. He watched over them. He said, There is one tree you may not eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he warned them, The day you eat thereof, you're going to die. They disobeyed him. They went against his counsel. They went against his warning. And still, he loved them and provided for them and cared for them and redeemed them. You can be absolutely innocent, you can have done absolutely nothing wrong. You can be guilt-free, theoretically. None of us are truly innocent. None of us are ever really, totally guilt-free. But theoretically, you can have a brother and sister in Christ that is upset with you, and undeservedly so. Why in the world would they be upset with me? You can actually be The innocent party. And what should you do? Be tender hearted. Compassionate. Motivated from an inward love and appreciation. For our brother and sister in Christ. That is going to cause us to act towards them. The way in which Jesus acted towards us. And that is he was compassionate towards us. While we were yet sinners. He was compassionate towards us while we were still his enemies. He was compassionate towards us when we were griping and complaining about God when he had done nothing wrong. It's a high calling. But we're to be like Jesus. How different that is, you see, from the verse before that talks about slander and malice, trying to hurt people, trying to put them down. And then lastly, Christ has been gracious to us, therefore we are to be gracious to one another. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, now these words, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another is the crowning virtue. There are a number of different words that are translated into English as the word forgive. This is the word that simply means graced. Grace. It it comes from caris, which is the word for grace. God graced us. God graced us. Meaning, That God treated us in a way in which we didn't deserve to be treated. That's how He has treated every single one of us in ways that we did not deserve. In the positive, not the negative. (laughs) Sometimes we, we think we don't get what we deserve, meaning that people don't reward us the way that they should. Jesus did not hold against us the things that he should. He graced us. He removed them from us. He canceled out our debt. There is nothing that we need to pay. There is nothing that we owe. There is nothing that we need to do. Do you realize that through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, all you have to do is accept the offered payment for our sin. And when we do, we become children of God. Then our lives are transformed. Then by the power of His Spirit, we move from darkness to light. We move from rebellion to love. We move from a son of the evil one to a son of God. Our lives are wonderfully transformed, but we are doing nothing to try to get God to love us more. You can't improve on your relationship to God because Jesus Christ has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That's Ephesians chapter 1. There is no blessing now that we Earn. There is no blessing now that we're trying to grab. There is nothing that we are trying to improve upon or add to in our salvation. We have been graced. We have been forgiven. We have been accepted. Welcomed. We are adopted children of God, Ephesians chapter 1. And so we are to respond in like manner to one another. What does a person have to do to gain my love? What does a person have to do to gain my friendship? What does a person have to do to gain my appreciation? If they're my brother and sister in Christ, the answer is nothing. If they're my brother and sister in Christ, they are accepted and beloved. That's Ephesians chapter 1. They're my brother and sister in Christ. They owe me nothing. We are to forgive them the way that Christ forgave us. Not do unto others the way that you would have them do unto you. But treat others the way that Jesus treated us. That is a high and holy calling. To be an imitator of Jesus Christ. Once again, the motivation is as God in Christ forgave you. What God has done in Christ for, for believers, which has been the theme of the first half of this letter, now provides the norm and the grounds for believers' own behavior. God's forgiveness of them becomes the paradigm for their mutual forgiveness. Notice Ephesians 5:1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 2 walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is well-pleasing to God. God is pleased when we forgive one another. God is pleased when we walk in love towards one another. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. There's this constant reminder, look at Christ. Look at what he has done. Look how he has treated you. Now you treat others the way that he has treated you. Let No one be your example other than Jesus Christ. You say, no one? Only if they themselves are following Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Be followers of me as I follow Christ. As far as men and women are following Christ, we should look up to them. They should be our role models. We should try to be like them, but only as much as they are reflecting the person and work of Jesus. We are to treat one another the way that He has treated us. That means we must be forgiving, that means we must be accepting, that means we must be welcoming. That means we must be patient. We must be long-suffering. We must not speak ill of them. You know, Jesus is not putting us down in heaven. The evil one, the adversary, Satan, he is the one who is bringing up all of the trash, all of the garbage. He is the one who is seeking to slander us, and in that fact, that is one of the titles for the evil one, the slanderer, trying to create a distance between ourselves and Christ. It cannot be done. He who spared not his Son, will he not also freely uh, with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Shall Christ that died? Who's going to find fault? God won't. God doesn't. Let us quit finding fault with one another. Let's quit complaining about one another. Let's quit talking about what. Somebody else has done to me. And let us talk about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let us talk about how Jesus overlooks all of my inadequacies, all of my sins, all of my actions, all of my conduct, all of my unfaithfulness, all of my ingratitude, all of my lack of praise. He overlooks it all and forgives it all because of Jesus Christ. How then can I not overlook, forgive, put behind anything that my brother or sister does to me? For I have been called to be like Christ to treat others the way that Jesus treats me. Not just as how I would like them to treat me, but now a new and higher standard, to treat one another the way that God in Christ Jesus treats us. Let's pray. Oh God, help us. Help us to treat one another with kindness with compassion, with graciousness, with a spirit of open arms, welcomeness. Help us to be concerned not only with what we believe, but how we act. Let us not be satisfied with sound doctrine that isn't manifest in sound practice. Lord, help us to Take upon ourselves that mantle of being like Christ, of seeking to follow his example, even as he has told us time and time again that we would love one another the way that he has loved us, that we are to wash one another's feet, even as he has washed our feet, that we are to follow his example. Now we are to forgive as he is forgiven. Oh, Lord, help us to be more like Jesus. First, open our hearts and eyes to see what he has done. And then, Lord, help us to understand this incredible calling that you have given to us that you have saved us to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. You saved us to be just like him. You saved us to bear that family resemblance. No wonder, oh God, your word tells us that we have love one toward another, that people will believe that you have come, that people will believe. For it is so different from the world. It is so different from where we hear from anyone else. Oh God, may Jesus be our focus. Help us to be like him, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.